Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Eighteenth of January, Tuesday. A rich winter moon hangs between the branches of the ash. Beneath a sky veiled in ice, sheep, the colour of worn lead, face the first glow of dawn. Penny picks up the scent of rabbits. We walk together on crystals and silence. This is the Narrowboat Erica, narrowcasting to you as an ageing moon is just climbing the eastern horizon. Well, it would be if you could see through the clouds. Thank you so much for coming. Remember, there's always a place for you here. Welcome aboard. Tonight, there's rather a damp, heavy, Novemberish feel about it, if you know what I mean. It feels as if you should be able to smell the hint of gunpowder and wood smoke in the air. It's actually almost balmy tonight, with the temperatures hovering around 6 degrees at the moment, which is, I think, about 43 degrees Fahrenheit. Although recently we've been having some really quite sharp frosts with the temperature dipping to around minus five on one night. And so we've been waking up to the the crackle and glitter of frost most mornings. But the days have been generally quite bright. Although yesterday, a savage northeasterly that cut like a wetted knife sliced down the hill and made us very glad and appreciative of the stoves. That kept the boat really warm and cosy. Early in the week, I got a little bit worried about our swan family. Cyril the juvenile was nowhere to be seen for, I think, at least a couple of days. And at one point, I spotted the the pen, the female, sitting on her own on the towpath just opposite us and I'd never seen her do that before and it was very un- not only very unlike her it was not really a good place to sit because the towpath was quite busy um, and so there was something I that didn't strike me as being right and that added to the fact that the juvenile was nowhere to be seen I was beginning to get quite anxious and concerned Fortunately, some of the boaters had taken a trip up to the local pub just up from us, and Carl had spotted Cyril up at Preston Baggett, and so we knew that at least he was all right, and he seemed to be fending for himself and doing okay. But we were still not too sure about whether something had happened and whether they had got separated because of the ice. The canals had been freezing over quite a bit, or whether 
he was being pushed out by his parents. It's around about this time once the juveniles are almost fully grown and can fend for themselves that the parents, swan parents, will push out their offspring. However, the next day, or, or possibly it might have been actually the day after, all three turned up together as if nothing had happened and everything seemed to be back to normal, or at least as back to normal as it can ever can get in the life of a swan. And actually, around about this time, I also did spot another pair of swans landing near us. And this was actually whilst the three, the original three, were still here. So they were very much to be very aware of their presence, but they nevertheless still landed. And I'm just beginning to wonder whether there is a, a territory claim brewing. Although the new couple would need to be pretty determined, I would have thought, to try to face down three grown swans. Thank you to everyone who contacted me about last week's episode, Echoes of Distant Memories. I haven't ever had so many comments about one specific episode before. So I was genuinely really touched by some of your comments. And so thank you. And Carol Knight-Ennis wrote, This episode will be listened to time and again, the best of the best, a meditation and blessing for such a time as this. Thank you once again. Well, thank you, Carol. And, and Angela Harding also sort of picked up on that theme and said, wow, listening to your reflections on memories was so powerful. Thank you. That took me to another time and place. And again, Angela, thank you so much for those words. And even, uh, wait, and I'm assuming it's you, Wayne, and not Amanda. And I don't know why I'm assuming it's you from the, the narrowboat Aiken, uh, wrote, that was a powerful one last night, Richard. Laying in the dark, listening to it, I was transported back to my childhood and could smell and taste the condensation and net curtains, as well as many other things you described. Thank you. And Vanessa from the Narrowboat, Alice Grace of the Mindful Narrowboat vlog, used the contact form on the new website. So that was exciting. Saying this week's episode was truly beautiful. And because it was entirely your own words, it was like watching an artist produce a painting. And the final piece was not only stunning, it was something that we could all admire and relate to and think about. Well, well thank you. And, and I'm really touched and surprised. I was very much in two minds about it and unsure how people respond and whether people would find it interesting or not. And it struck me that it could very well come over a little bit like a stranger sitting down next to you and describing in great detail a weird dream that they had last night and going on and on and on and on forever. So thank you so much. And I really do appreciate all of those comments. And while on the subject of the noswpod.com website, the new website for the Nighttime on Still Waters podcast. Thanks to Dad for trying out the new voicemail recorder. It does work, and 
All you need to do is to just click on that microphone icon and follow the instructions. And instead of just writing to me, you can also contact me just by leaving a voicemail. It was also great to catch up with the news of another long-time listener, Arlene Kettering, who escaped the snows of Seattle to enjoy the milder Californian climate. And it was lovely to hear that the raccoon families are doing so well. And Arlene also told me about finding a, a western gull, which I did a little bit of research about, and it looks a little bit like our herring gull. And I think it is just as large. And Arlene was saying that this western gull had got caught by some fishing line, which had become wrapped around its tongue. With beaks as powerful as gulls, it must have been an almost impossible task to free it. And fortunately, a local wildlife rescue centre took it in and apparently it's now recovering. And in fact, Arlene says that she was so impressed with their standard of care and service that they give. She's now joined them as a volunteer. So thank you, Arlene. And thank you for, for helping out with the gull. And I'm sure the gull appreciates it as well. Hello also to Lisa Chappelle, who contacted me. I know you are having difficulty in downloading some of the podcasts from your podcast app. And I hope that the situation has rectified itself. As I said, I, there's, there's very little I can do because the problem is between the podcast host, Buzzsprout, and the actual app, which is a podcast app in this case, or the directory. And I don't have access to any of that coding. If it does keep continuing, then please contact me. Or if anybody is having trouble in downloading episodes or accessing episodes, because I hear from time to time that this can be a problem when you are using a podcast directory or podcast player, that, that suddenly things just seem to suddenly drop off and you know that you can't find them or they just disappear. Please contact me and I can see what I can do. And I can at least I can contact Buzzsprout and say, could you check the link? RSS feed is is okay. So sorry about that. And I hope things are going. And thank you for getting in contact with me. And I hope you uh, continue to enjoy Nighttime on Still Waters. And while I'm here and saying hello to people over on Twitter, hi to Deborah Wales. Thank you for the retweets and your support. And also the crew of Narrowboat Liberty. Hi there. And Narrowboat Precious Jet who listens to this while driving mail all over the country. You're doing a great job and thank you for that. And I hope the roads are clear and safe for you. And also to Mark and Tricia Stowe. Hey there, over then. Thank you. And thank you for all your comments and support. And if you do want to contact me, then the details are in the program notes below. Quite a few people can imagine what it's like living on a boat in the summer. And there's also a, a lot of vlogs and a lot of photographs of the glorious days of summer and boating. But what's it like in winter? So 
Welcome to Winter on the Moorings. Wrap up warm. Let's go and have a look, shall we? A grey light. Watery, with a touch of ice. Washes the sweeping folds of field and copse. In the sheltered spots, in the dark places under hedges, patches of frost remain, glistening white. Non the water beside us. Jagged skins of ice cling to the edges where the sun cannot reach. A northeast wind blows cold and cruel. And above us, the winter skyscape looks eminently suited to be haunted by the flights of geese. However, here, at this time of year, they tend to be either very small groups of two or three, or perhaps ten at the most. But those big, impressive skeins of geese which stretch across the sky are more common seemingly to spring and autumn skies than they are to the winter ones. At this time of year around here, the skyways seem to be the preserve of ducks and corvid, crow, rook, jackdaw, magpie, raven, than they are to geese and other birds. And the ducks are getting busy now, and every time you appear outside the boat, there they are, clustering around. They, like the swans, have good eyesight. They can see movement through the windows and read the runes well, and are there, waiting, when you appear. And they know which boat is good for feeding, and will cluster around in the morning and in the evening, waiting for their breakfasts or their suppers. And during the day, anyone and anything is game, always on the lookout, always on the prowl. I love watching them, and seeing how they watch us and they watch each other, always gauging, always reading signs, always aware. One small group will always attract more, bringing them in on the wing, the whispered wing song of outstretched pinions and the jewel of water with outstretched feet as they slice their way into the melee. And here the grass is still white with frost and stiff with ice. The two adult swans graze contentedly, pulling and tugging at the stiff grass. As Junior begins to waddle up the bank towards them and settles down heavily beside them, they appear not even to notice him, although he continuously peers in the direction of the female, extending his neck towards her 
pivoting his head slightly to the side. He does this a number of times, and then settles down to grazing with his parents. And when they slightly move, they leave behind the moulds of their bodies on the earth, perfect nests of wet, flattened grass. And if you look, you can see where they've been earlier on in the day, leaving these perfect nests. Cyril moves a little bit closer to his father. The cob looks at him, carries on grazing, but there seems to be some kind of contact there. And all the time, Cyril maintains his signet cheap, still young, even though he's growing old. And perhaps, like humans, swans never really lose the child inside them. And out on the water, where it hasn't frozen over, ducks frolic and bathe, splashing liquid jewels into the grey light. Four or five ducks stand on the ice beside the hole, hunched shoulders, heads down. It could be a scene from Margate on a rainy, cold bank holiday Monday. Parents watching their children bathing in the sea. And by the bank, the ice still intact, glazed and dulled by freezing and refreezing. Where in the summer the carp lazily dozed in the warmth of the sunshine. The pen, the female swan, pushes through the ice. The sharp bell-like notes of splintering ice like broken glass. It's not thick, a couple of millimetres perhaps at the most, but it nevertheless seems to make the going heavy for her, as she heaves her body onto the fragile sheets until they crack and snap under her, sinking her gently into the water so that she can push her way on to the next sheet. It looks heavy work, but eventually she joins her mate on the clear water and they feed together. Water has a very different appearance when frozen, particularly at night. It becomes dull, dead even losing that smooth, glossy look that is almost alive, bright and filled with light, even in darkness, glittering, sparkling. But when it's frozen, it appears heavy, dull, almost dead-looking. The reflections of light are blurred, and diffused, as if they too have lost their will to live 
and sparkle. The surface is matte and grainy. Strangely, it looks very similar to the surface of the canal on a hot summer's day in the evening, grimed with dust and pollen and fallen blossom, a dull carapace covering the life below. And last night, after a day when the ice began to thaw, the surface looked exactly like the asphalt of a wet car park after a heavy rain shower. Large shimmering pools and puddles lying on its frozen surface. So far this year we've not had that real deep freeze where the boat is actually entrapped in ice. There's always been that small margin of clear water around the hull, so we still feel afloat and the boat still moves with the underlying currents of the water. Not like last year, when the ice sang. And at the far end... Carl is surrounded by ducks at his feet. Like a teacher in a nursery class, each duck desperate for his attention, wanting to be noticed. And Carl does notice them. And meanwhile, Jan is out, busily cleaning the bow door windows. Which reminds me, I need to do ours too. Fleece-coloured smoke coils and drifts up from chimneys. An engine runs in the distance. One of the boaters here is working on another boat's engine. The metallic chink and clink of tools. Words smoothed out and indistinct by distance catch the wind. The ground, where it is defrosted, is wet and muddy, slick with fallen leaves and sprigs of alder cones. The berries have almost all gone, though there's still enough to attract flocks of birds. And a watery sun tries to break through as the smoke trail of starlings pass overhead. But it just makes the clouds look thicker and heavier and darker and angrier. Soon it'll be time for the rooks and the crows and their jackdaw cousins to begin to gather for their evening patrol. They're already beginning to cluster around the two trees in the far field, tumbling and wheeling flights, then alighting in the field Rooks are expert fishers of fields. They're the agricultural heron. And every now and then, they'll take to the air, rising and wheeling around, and then dropping as one down again. I love the sound and the sight of it. And then, in response to some hidden, unseen, 
unheard signal and agreement. They'll en masse take off and wheel around the trees again, but this time, instead of landing, they will as one body peel away across the skies towards their roost. What signal, what command has rippled through this group? And off they go, a river of sound and ragged wing beats. For a thousand years and more they have patrolled this parish. And I find that immensely comforting. This is the Narrowboat, 506812, the Erica. Signing off for the night and wishing you a very peaceful, restful and warm night. Good night. Temperature outside 6.2 degrees Inside 27 degrees Humidity 93% Dew point 3 degrees Wind direction West Northwest Wind strength 4 miles per hour Barometric pressure 1037.3 Steady Cloud cover 97% Cloud ceiling, 26,000 feet. Precipitation, nil. Moon phase, 76.6%. Waning gibbous. Day length, 8 hours, 34 minutes. Sunset. 1636 Skycasting 801